Welcome to When Fear Reigns. Can you really trust the Bible? If Christians base their entire life and worldviews on its truths, they'd better be sure that it is just that, true. It's not a small thing to ask someone to trust a book written 2,000 years ago. Here's Dr. Parlow and Pastor Ben. Welcome to When Fear Reigns, Episode 3. I am Ben Workentine. So glad you guys are here. We get to sit down and have a cup of coffee here with Pastor John Parlow as we talk today about the really important issue of the Bible. What What is it? Where does it come from? Is it believable? I mean, we're here 2,000 years later. What is it that this book has that has made it last so long? What is it reliable or is it just a book of fables? We're, we're going to dig into those questions and talk about that today. Hopefully find some answers. Hopefully find some room for fear to Rain. John, I'd like to start by talking a little bit about what's at stake here when it comes to whether or not the Bible is believable. There's a wide spectrum of stances, even in Christianity today, American Christianity especially, but even outside of Christianity, what is the Bible is. But let's talk about what's what's at stake. What are the issues if it is or if it isn't? Well, if, if God's word, the Bible, isn't isn't true, then we really have no foundation for life. I mean, I think to myself, okay, what what determines what is right or wrong in my life? Just as a husband, okay, does that mean I necessarily have to uh, stay uh, faithful to my wife, you know, or uh, do I need to really uh, worry about any kind of morality? The idea that if the Bible isn't true, then I really don't, I'm not told the truth, and I don't tell myself the truth about who I really am and what I really need. And I guess that's the way I look at it. If if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God who rose from the dead, and then, therefore, what he says is true, and what he said through his inspired prophets and apostles, well, that gives me a foundation on which I live and, and how I live and gives me direction, gives me comfort, especially for the life hereafter. But if it's just a, a bunch of fables and just has really good name recognition, you know, and so people go ahead and love it or follow it, well, then, you know, if, if it has no more validity than Twitter does, you know, then I think we're all up a crick with no paddle because then we're all making up our own justice. I have my justice. You have your justice. ISIS has their justice, right? Uh, majority has its justice, their street justice, Antifa justice, whatever you call it. And you can't say it's wrong. Then there's no right. There's no wrong. I always say there's really no hope. And, and something we'll talk about, I'm sure, during this at some point it is just the idea that it's the only tell, it tells me the truth about my life, whether it's the origin or my meaning, or morality, or my destiny. I think the Bible does that the best, and I would expect that, because it's all about the God who created all of that. So I guess it's it's everything. That's one of the reasons Jesus said, listen, <laughs> uh, heaven and earth aren't going to disappear until, I mean, my, my word's not going to disappear until heaven and earth disappears when Jesus comes again and there's a new heaven and a new earth or new new sky and a new earth. So that tells me it's pretty important and, and for all of the reasons I talked about and the ones we'll talk more about. So I guess that's a long answer to a good question. Sorry. It's, <laughs> well, it's early. I think it, it's a good, like, we got to wrestle with this a little bit as Christians because it's easy to have the fast answer. And we're going to talk a little bit about how do you talk to somebody? How do you, how do you open up this conversation with somebody who maybe is skeptical of the Bible? But I think we Christians need to wrestle with because there are other, other holy books and there are it's not as though Christians are the only moral people in the world. Uh, there are Muslims who are very moral. There are Buddhists who are very moral. There are Shinto who are very moral. Hindu. Atheists so, too. Atheists, atheists well. right. Yeah. Exactly right. So there's, but there's something unique about the Bible, isn't there? Yeah, I, I would say there's a lot unique from the Bible's perspective. I mean, as, as people will often tell you, you can take all of the holy books and all of the books of philosophy and put them on one side of the table and put the Bible alone on the other side. 
because ultimately it's the only one that tells you you can't save yourself or it's not a WWE, you know, spiritual match that maybe you start and then you tag God or God starts and then he tags you and then you win, then you win, you know, but ultimately, I mean, I know that's simplistic and rather uh, general, but that's really where all the other world religions and world philosophies and worldviews put you. Either there is no God, so you're not worrying about it, which makes you God when you really think about it, or you're God, you don't know it, which tells me you're not very intelligent, uh, or, you know, it's like you and God are like tag team people, and so you're going to work this out together because God needs your help, obviously. It's only Christianity that tells you, no, by nature, you suck. <laughs> you're doomed spiritually, and we have this God who loved us so much, when he came to this world, he sent into a world full of people who who fell short, not a judge, but a savior. Mm-hmm. That That is incredibly unique about Christianity. So I guess that's one of them. Excellent. <laughs> I want to drill down on one of the statements you said, because um, we're talking a lot about it around here. Um, the idea that if you don't have a God, you really make, you set yourself up as God. Could you just talk a little bit more about what that means, what the implications of that are? Well, yeah, if, if, if there really isn't a God, is that what you're saying? If there really right, isn't a right. God, then you set yourself... Yeah, because then you determine what is right or wrong, what is just, what injustice looks like, what is equal and inequality looks like. You become your own God. And we, we often see that today, and I don't know that people really realize that's what they're doing, or maybe they do, and I'm just naive, but uh, they, where they say, well, you know, what's it's truth is relative. What's right for you isn't right for me. It seems as though they don't even uh, abide by that today, or many don't, because they'll say, well, um, you know, there are no, there's no truth today. And I always look at that person and go, okay, is that true? Is that your statement? <laughs> right? Or people say, uh, you know, they're not, what's right for you isn't right for me. But then if I disagree with them, somehow I hate them. Mm. And I'm not given my right to have my own right and wrong standards. So that what happens is the ultimate arbitrator of what's right or wrong is you. And that to live in a world like that is not only dangerous, and and scary, but it's disastrous spiritually, physically, emotionally, relationally, any of those. Yeah. It's hard to live in a society that is hyper individual to the point where everybody gets to set their own morality. Everybody gets to set their own values. Everybody gets to set their own purpose and meaning. It's so individual, it's hard to live together. Yeah. And Sorry. one of the things you're seeing now, Ben, in this is acceptance does not equal affirmation. Mm-hmm. Acceptance does not equal agreement in that sense. I might accept somebody because I accept them and I believe they're valuable before God, but that doesn't mean I necessarily agree or affirm their lifestyle. But what happens now when you have, hey, my truth is my truth and I'm the God of me and don't tell me how to use my body or whatever, what happens all of a sudden is the moment I disagree with you, we've now made disagreement hatred. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, they're actually setting up a standard that they say, doesn't exist because if everyone's truth is truth and I'm my own God, then why don't I have the right to say I don't agree with you? It's it's just it's convoluted and you're right. That's one of the reasons we have people today kind of wandering aimlessly or kind of bobbing up and down like buoys in uh in an ocean of uncertainty. Yeah. And and the reality is you and I disagree sometimes. That doesn't change the foundation of our relationship doesn't change our appreciation or respect for each other. Disagreement is not an erosion of that. Well, you're just, you're just young. You're learning. <laughs> I mean, you like college football for crying out loud. Nebraska. Nothing wrong with college football, but Nebraska, really. Sure do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's through thick good. and thin. Well, well through you, the maybe years you of... should 
you have really faith. You have real faith in the pigskin if you believe in the Packers because if you had to endure the 70s and the 80s, trust me, that's what faith looks like. You know, hoping for things you can't see, believing in things that haven't come yet. Believe me. And I think – so let's dig into – I'd like to just paint a scenario for you and get your get your thoughts on this. So you're sitting sitting in the break room. Uh, you've got your Bible app open and you're going through your devotion. You're You're reading through – uh, you know, whatever it is, somebody sits down next to you, sees what you're doing, recognizes it and says, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't, I don't, that, that book has no meaning to me. Well, let me start with what are the, what are the questions that will help you understand why that person says what they're saying? What, how they got there? You know, what are some of those questions that can help you really open up that conversation in a way that's not unthreatening? That's not preachy. That's not beating them over the head with a two by four, but is actually engaging with them, looking them in the eye and, and understanding what's going on. Yeah, Ben, you know, it's the questions that we, we try to teach in all of our messages as well as uh, Bible classes and, and maybe people that are listening to this podcast right now know at least some of these, but I think these have always been helpful. Whenever you're talking to someone with whom you disagree, especially if it's the area of uh, biblical studies or just theology or religion in general or spirituality, it's better to ask questions than to make statements because I think statements just build walls and you're not able to, to really talk with that person, have a conversation. I think questions build relationships and I think that's the way it works best. I, I certainly see that in, in Jesus, uh, work with people that he would have disagreed with and disagreed with him. The first question we always ask or I encourage you to ask is, okay, what do you mean by that? Ben, if you said, you know, I, I just believe the Bible is just a, it's it's just a book. It really does. it has some truth in it, but it's not God. I simply ask, what do you mean by that? Can you unpack that? So we're not talking past each other. Or I don't uh, I don't believe you believe something you don't. Mm-hmm. You know I, I just you they know don't want to make assumptions that. about yeah. where they're coming from. Yeah. yeah. So I would ask, okay, can you help me? What do you mean by that? Can you unpack that? And then talk a little there. And immediately, what you're doing, you're saying, I, I give that person worth, or I, I believe that person's worthy. Maybe I don't give the person worth, but that person has worth because God created him or her. Mm-hmm. And so I'm acknowledging that, and I, I want to know what that person's opinion is. And then the next question you might want to ask is, okay, how did you come to that conclusion? And you get to hear their story. And whenever someone shares their story of their life with you, it's hard then to continue to dislike that person. Mm-hmm. You may still disagree with that person, but it's hard to dislike a person whose story at least a little bit of it, you know. And so you ask that question and you work for a while on that. And maybe in that one conversation, you don't cycle through all three of the questions I'm going to give you, but maybe, you know. <laughs> Lunch is only 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, hey, hey sorry, I, we got to cut you off. I need to go to the next question. And then, and then at some point after you've asked, hey, how did you come to that conclusion? You know, what did you read? Uh, tell me who taught you that? You know, where'd you learn that from? And as we've talked about before, I, I I think a lot of people really haven't done the study. They've, they've just had a couple talking points or they maybe read four context less passages in the Bible mm-hmm. and, you know, from some Twitter source or some source online, www, you know, atheist mixologist and, you know, uh, Jim is my homeboy dot blog spot, whatever dot org. And, and so they really haven't done their work or maybe they get burned by someone. Who is a Christian, and, and I can understand that still hurts. And then finally, at some point, the conversation you might want to introduce what you believe is true and what you believe is right from the Bible and biblical perspective by saying, "Well, have you ever considered?" And then walk down a path. Now, you don't have to give them the whole counsel of God in the singles. <laughs> you know, you're not making them pre-seminarian, 
But I would go through those three things. Okay, what do you mean by that? Can you help unpack that for me so I can better understand where you're coming from? How did you come to that conclusion? Who taught you that? Who told you that? Where did you find that to be true? And then finally, okay, okay. Uh, have you ever considered this? And, and then you can bring your side of the story or your side of the, the, the discussion and maybe bring to light something they were never taught or misunderstood. And, and what a great, what a great responsibility. What a great privilege. What a great relationship builder. That is, and, and God certainly can use that. Sometimes you just put pebbles in people's shoes, you know, and, and maybe down the road they, they come to you or someone, they come to someone and say, well, what about this? Or maybe, you know, God uses that down the road. So that those are the three questions we often ask, and I encourage you to ask. Yeah, I think you're really, you're spot on there in the idea of being patient. For many people, many people in your life, this will not be the only time you have an opportunity to have that conversation, especially if you begin that conversation in a way that's, humble, that's engaged, that's interested, that's not, you know, as if you have all the answers and you're, you got to fix them. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing I, I have to remind myself of, because I'm very weak in this area, is uh, I'm having a conversation with a person for whom Jesus died. Mm -hmm. That person has worth. Even if the person doesn't recognize Jesus died for her or him, I'm not here to win an argument. And my personality is of the type that I'm always <laughs> You know, fighting. I've never seen that in Yeah, you I know. Don't. I'm sure no one's ever seen that before. But so I have to be patient and, and rather, I have to really work on, and I'm getting better at it, but I'm certainly not perfect at it, listening to a person rather than formulating my response yeah. to that person's yeah. answer, yeah. where I'm like, it's a debate and you're going down. Yeah. Uh, you can't... I, you know, I have to really work on that. So I have to work on being, you know, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry or uh, in de uh, debate mode, so to yeah, speak. Yeah. And everybody's going to wrestle with a different, I think, tendency in there. One is what you're talking about, the kind of pull out the two by four, the, the baseball bat, and we're going to beat them down. Yeah, The other absolutely. one is not saying anything or not reading your Bible in the break room, not doing your devotions or living your Christian faith in a really open way so that you're not inviting those conversations. Yeah, or, or being afraid to step into a conversation you've been yeah. welcomed in, but you won't give your side because you're afraid you're the only person that has that side around the table. And I've I found that to be true, that people who are – not spiritual, especially not Jesus followers, are way more ready to have those conversations. I've sat on planes, you know, where you kind of, you sit next to somebody you don't know and the whole time you're like, should I say something? Should I say something? And they open up with a really deep question, you know, hey, what do you believe? Or, you know, man, I've been amazed by the questions. Well, I, that's one of the reasons I, ha I hate flying is <laughs> I always sit there and I always got this, feel this prompting from God like, all right, go ahead and introduce yourself to this person, whatever. And then they ultimately ask the question, so, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And I always want to say, well, I sell life insurance. <laughs> you know, the policies are pretty inexpensive and, uh, you know, the plan's out of this world. You know, something goofy like that. But ultimately, they know I'm a pastor and they go, oh, do you mind if I ask you a question? And then two and a half hours later, yeah. we're putting our seatbelts back on, getting ready to land. That's why I'm really praying and I feel the, the Lord has really led me to ask the congregation to buy me a private plane so I, <laughs> so I don't have to have those conversations. Listen, I just read of a guy who got his fourth private plane from the yeah. congregation. Three apparently wasn't enough, although it's a good number for the Trinity, not for him. He needed four for the four corners of the earth. So I'm just asking for one, but I know what you're talking about. Those conversations come up and yeah. you go, oh, and, and I'm, I'm surprised at how many people are so hungry yeah. to have those conversations and how we so often, pastors certainly included, are fearful. To have them. Absolutely. Terrified of saying the wrong thing or you know, coming well, off. I think that's one of the reasons at St. Mark, 
um, at uh, many of our services, we have uh, a live Q&A where you can either ask it out loud in some of our smaller venues or in the larger one, write it on a piece of paper and then have it answered by the by the guy who's preaching that day. Because I think people want to have those conversations. They want a, a place to go ahead and, and start that conversation because it's not just non-believers that have questions. Yeah. It's Jesus followers too. I yeah. get that. So let's walk through some of the objections. So you've asked, you know, you've sat down at that lunch table, you've done your devotion, somebody sits next to you, you're in that scenario, somebody says, you know, that Bible doesn't mean anything or that that book is so old, why do you read it? And you ask the question, what do you mean by that? There's probably, you've probably heard in your experience, several categories of answers people give to that. You know, they, they say, I think of one that I hear a lot. Well, it, it, the morality of the Bible, you know, you look at the Old Testament, what, what God, so that's a category yeah. of objections. Yeah. I'm Can not worshiping a God who in the Old Testament approved of genocide of the Exactly Canaanites. right. Yeah. yeah. That's one, that's kind of one category. Another category that I hear is, well, it's so old. How can it be reliable? How can we know? Do you want to take just one category and, and walk us through what the, the substance of that objection is and then how a Christian can help show the truth? Sure. Let, let's just talk about, I, I think, what is a key word or the word of the day in our culture right now is injustice. Okay. Everything's injustice. All right. Um, a lot of times people go, well, I, I can't believe in the God of the Bible because in the Old Testament, look at what he did. Uh, look at some of the things that he made. The Old Testament Jews, Israelites do, like, uh, they, they said you couldn't eat certain fish and shellfish and, and then, but more importantly, they, they, they wiped out, God used the, the Israelite army to wipe out the Canaanites or, or other people and just approved of genocide. And then he took people who were involved in homosexuality and, and said if they were caught in that lifestyle, then they were to be stoned to death. Their children who didn't obey their parents were to be stoned to death. How can you possibly look for a moral backing and basis from a God like that. Well, that comes from a kind of a misunderstanding because the Bible is very clear about um, God has has his moral law and his ceremonial law. And that's something that a lot of people, even people who sit in chairs and pews and places we call churches, don't understand. And I, I get it. Uh, okay, for in the Old Testament and, and throughout the New Testament too, God's moral law was summarized in the Ten Commandments. Don't steal. There's only one true God. Don't have any other gods. Don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Don't be gossiping about your neighbor and so on. And then there was the ceremonial law that was simply meant for the God's Old Testament people, Israel, through whom he bring the Savior. And so he gave them all sorts of different laws that made them distinct from the nations around them so they wouldn't intermarry and lose their identity as his special people so the line of the Savior, physically speaking, would continue. So God said, okay, you can't eat uh, pigs. No bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich, okay? <laughs> you can't you, you can't have shellfish, which I like a lot. You can't have shellfish. Um, you're supposed to worship on a certain day. Yeah. You're to wear certain clothing. Guys, don't trim your beards up, right? It's ZZ Top in the, in the, <laughs> in the congregation. Uh uh, uh, and there's certain ways that God exacted justice in the Old Testament when it came to disobedience, where how to handle his gift of sexuality or disobey, disobedient people and with like children. Then, uh, according to, for example, um, Romans chapter 5, we're told God's moral law always shows us our sin and our need for a Savior. And because that's always going to be the case, that's why God's moral law is for both Old Testament people and the New Testament people, because we always need to be aware of our sin 
and our need for a Savior, because otherwise you don't understand how sweet the gospel is and how incredible Jesus our Savior is. According to, I believe it's Exodus chapter 19, God in the Old Testament makes it very clear, these laws I'm about to give you, which most of which are recorded in the book of Leviticus, Mm -hmm. are for you, my people Israel, because as you carry these out, and as the nations around you don't, as you carry these out, what you're going to see is you're going to see that you are a special people. And every time you can't do something that others can do, or every time I ask you to do something that others aren't doing, it reminds you, I'm sending the Savior of the world through you. Now, the reason those ceremonial laws no longer are are together today or no longer needed today is is because uh, when Jesus comes, he fulfills all those. Uh, I like the analogy someone used. Listen, um, you don't put up flyers about a concert after the concert <laughs> has been performed. Yeah. And no. that's why that's why uh, God says to Peter, who is a really good Jew, followed all those laws. Acts chapter 10, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Peter, now, the, the food in the Old Testament that you couldn't have, now you can eat it because all of that's been fulfilled in Jesus. Now the Gentiles can be welcomed into the Christian church. Uh, a lot of times when people are talking about, well, what about the genocide? God used um, the Israelites in the Old Testament sometimes to exact justice on people who had been spitting in the face of God. A good one is the Canaanites. For 400 years, God said, hey, knock it off, knock off that Moloch worship, which was really the sacrifice of babies. Yeah. You would uh, go to the pagan temple, perhaps, have sex with a prostitute. you give birth to a child. you take a child, or maybe a child you had with your wife, and take that child and sacrifice it to Moloch by throwing it on red-hot hands of a statue to sizzle to death, mm-hmm. while the people there would play the drums really loud so you couldn't hear the children scream. God said, listen, I can't handle that. I gave you 400 years to turn from your sinful ways. Now I'm using Israel to wipe you out. It always amazes me. It always amazes me, Ben, that the people today could go, well, where's God's justice in that school shooting? When he brings about justice, in this case, in the Old Testament, then he's mean. Mm-hmm. I-, I never understand that. <laughs> we could spend podcast after podcast talking about, and maybe we will, I think that'd be a good thing. Some of these objections, common objections to the Bible. Sure, that'd be something. Um, they're... Because they're important to their value. People are getting them from somewhere, and there's some merit if you look only on the surface. It's when you start asking those questions and getting a little deeper that you see maybe these aren't and, and, exactly. And a lot of times, value. you know, you have to remember, and I have to remember this, these are biblically illiterate people. That's not a cut on them. They just haven't been taught the Bible. Mm-hmm. They haven't been given a privilege of a Christian home or maybe didn't have access to to a school where God's Word was taught on a regular basis, and at least they learned more than the average person. So you have to understand that. Also, in a day and age of social media, you know, a lot of times they're choosing two, three, four passages with no context. And it's sound bites, right? Yeah, it's and, just and it's a, a little sound thing. bite, and it's something that some professor told them that they really liked in college or high school. Yeah. And so they, they really haven't done a thorough study. They haven't read the Bible. They haven't heard a Bible-based Christian sermon on the subject. They haven't heard Christian theologians speak to their very good questions. Mm-hmm. And so they just go ahead and continue to peddle what they've been given. And, and you have to be ready for that. And so, yeah, I think, um, and that's one of the reasons we, we hope this podcast is helpful, to help people dig down, be prepared, be more sure about their faith, be strengthened in their faith, but be ready to give people answers to good questions. Yeah. And I think you're you're right. There's I bet 99% of those who object to the Bible on one ground or another maybe haven't read the Bible or haven't spent time in the Bible, haven't asked questions, but there are experts. There are really intelligent people who have done thorough studies 
I want to get your response to a quote from a, a scholar by the name of Bart Ehrman. Uh, he's well known. I was actually just reading a History Channel article about Pilate and Jesus. Of course, we're, when we're recording this, we're leading up to Easter. And so there's all kinds of stuff online. Uh, did Jesus actually rise? Stuff like that. But they had this quote um, from Bart Ehrman. Here's what he said. And he's, he's a well-respected guy in the biblical scholar world. These are all Christians and are obviously and understandably biased in what they report. This is talking about those who write the Bible. He's talking specifically about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the gospel writers the ones who are writing about Jesus' life, they are biased in what they report. They have to be evaluated very critically indeed to establish any historically reliable information. Well, as you know, I mean, you're setting me up here for, you know, throwing me a softball because Bart Ehrman uh, was a student of a professor I also had who was the, the top guy in the, in the world, and that's uh, Professor Metzger, who was by far one of the top, if not the top Greek New Testament um, expert in the 20th century, in the early 21st century. I think he recently passed away. Bart Ehrman, it's interesting. If you read his information um, back in, in 2000, early 2000s, he and Dr. Metzger often would go ahead and write, and Dr. Metzger wrote a book where he talked about the reliability of the New Testament, something he talks about in the, and calls into question uh, in that quote of yours. It's pretty well known. And in that, he agrees with with Dr. Metzger, that the New Testament is extremely reliable. He points out that there are over 5,700 Greek manuscripts. Uh, you can see many of them online, not to mention all the other different manuscripts and parts of manuscripts from other other languages like Coptic and, and Latin and so on, where you have now over 25, 26,000 copies, some of which are only about 20 or 30 years after the time Jesus walked on this earth. Not only that, but if you take, as he pointed out, the 36,000 quotations from the early church fathers, the first and second century, you can reconstruct the mm -hmm. New Testament from that as well. So yes, we don't have the original, at least we don't think we have any part of the original uh, letters and gospels, but it's not too difficult to put them together. What's interesting is he agreed with Dr. Metzger, yes, the, the New Testament is extremely reliable. But then what he did... At that, around the same time, I think within the same year, he, he wrote a book called Misquoting Jesus, where he said just the opposite. Hmm. Because, and I don't know this man's intentions, but I'm maybe reading a little into it, where he knew he could sell books. Mm -hmm. He can get little gigs on the History Channel, where he can say, hey, well, we're not really not sure the Bible's reliable. When he said the, that very same thing, that Bible is reliable, before with, with his professor. I just, uh, I think it was kind of, uh, I don't know disingenuous. Uh, he gives one impression to the general public and the opposite to the academic world. Um, I, I, maybe he's casting doubt in such a way to an uninformed public, but not to his academic peers, because to his academic peers, he says one thing about the reliability of the Bible. To the uninformed, biblically illiterate public, he gives the impression, oh, you can't trust that book at all. And I got to think, and he doesn't believe Jesus is the son of God, mm -hmm. but I've got to think Money has to do something with it, mm -hmm. and ego, that, that would be mean. But that's what a lot of people, that's why I say, when you see something like, hey, what's the real story behind the Bible, the History Channel or the yeah. Discovery Channel, yeah. I always kind of cringe, because they always have him on there, or people like him who uh, maybe know the truth, but don't always bring the truth forward. But he, he was a man who, in you know, in 2005, helped update and revise a classic work, Metzger's, in fact, here's, here's Metzger's book, The Text of the New Testament. Mm -hmm. He concluded that it was reliable. The New Testament is reliable, and we even might have 
portions of it that date to early, oh, probably the 50s or 40s A.D. Mm-hmm. So, and Jesus uh, died about 30 A.D. Th- yeah, so 30, 33 A.D. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got seven, eight years down the road. Now, Bart Ehrman knows about all of the charts that any of these people that are listening right now could go ahead and take a look at. Having that perspective on even the scholars, the quote-unquote scholars, I think is really helpful for someone because it can feel intimidating when I'm standing, you know, I, the average, I mean, I'm a pastor, but I'm just an average pastor. Uh, You're an average Jesus follower who's not a scholar in these things. You're not well-read in these things. To see somebody like Bart Ehrman on the other side, or, I mean, you've talked about like Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins, and you see these people on the other side and you can feel really outgunned, really intimidated by them. But I think it's good for people to hear Listen, this is not a one-sided. It's not as though all the guns are on one side, all the strength and the the arguments are on one side. That's not true. Even somebody like Bar- Bart Ehrman, this this pillar of the other side attacking the Bible, has published things that are on the other side. He himself is divided yeah. on this well, yeah, issue. He, yeah, he says one thing to the academic community and another to the uninformed public. You know, one of the things too I'd say is if you ever read Sam Harris's stuff, he's one of the new atheists and he's kind of hailed right now. As, as the guy or Richard Dawkins or, or some of those people, you'll find out they really don't know the Bible very well. They may have read it, most of the time not, or they've simply taken it out of its context and don't understand what you and I would call systematic theology. They don't understand history uh, of the Bible and how everything fits together. And oftentimes they just are, they're, they're putting up Christians as caricatures of, yeah. of what society believes them to be. And they're taking passages so often out of their context and say, well, what about this? And they know that stops the average Jesus follower who may have forgotten what she learned or he learned as a child or maybe never got a chance to learn it. Yeah. We got a lot of people listening who are in the middle of that conversation with somebody who want to have that conversation with somebody. John, help us help those who are, who are in the midst of that. What should be the, what should they be praying for? What is, what are, what should be a goal? What are they, what are they, I mean, tonight my prayer is going to be, God, help me with this. Or what is that, that they should be conversion, obviously. I mean, yeah, eventually right. that they would know Jesus and they would, they would know his salvation. But in the interim, you know, the, the next step, what am I hoping for? Well, first of all, I'd, I'd encourage that person to continue to study God's truth. Continue to read. Be involved in your local church. Uh, maybe have a small group. Um, if you got questions, man, ask your pastors or the staff of your church. Uh, when when you're having these discussions with people, make sure that uh, if you don't know the answer, you don't fake it. <laughs> Tell the person, you know what? It's good advice for a pastor. Yeah, that's great advice for a pastor. Like, I know I should know this, but I don't. Or when you get to be my age, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. But, you know, and then what happens is you go back at the answer, and then you never really forget it because when you teach yeah. something, you often remember it better. But my prayer... I hope their prayer would be my prayer, and that is, Lord, give me the courage to speak up when I need to say something. Give me the kindness, and the idea of kindness, right, I'm serving the other person, to answer the person's question or have a dialogue with that person from a humble standpoint. Mm-hmm. Not, you're wrong, I'm right, let me show you how wrong I am. you are, and I can feel better about myself. Uh, and then also give me the wisdom to say what's needed to be said and and how it needs to be said. And then give me the faith to know that you're the God can even use my simple answers 
and my flawed discussions to bring about that amazing faith in Jesus as a Savior who gives people hope now, but more importantly, hope for eternity. I guess that would be, that's my prayer too. And just, I'm just going to tell you right now, if you're listening, be careful of what you pray for. Because <laughs> every time I pray for that, it's like God gives an answer. A lot of times yeah. people say. Sooner than you think. <laughs> yeah. People go, hey, Pastor, you know what you talked about last weekend in the message? Yeah. I thought that was really good. I thought, oh, one day God will give me a chance to use that. Monday morning, someone out of the blue asked me this question. So be careful what you pray for because God just might give it to you. And, and don't. Don't put yourself in a position where you're expecting perfection. You and I think a lot about these things. We've read deeply on them. We we try to understand them. And we still mess up. Or we, oh, The conversation absolutely. doesn't go the way we want. And so for somebody to have the expectation, I'm going to get in this conversation and I'm going to hit every point, ask every question, understand. That just doesn't happen. Well, I, I'm just in the midst of a conversation online with an atheist out in Nebraska. And he's very cordial and it's a it's a good conversation. And he keeps asking for evidence. And I keep giving him evidence. And, he, and finally, I, I wrote him after a week or two of not writing him. I said, listen, obviously I was wrong in the way I started this discussion. I should have asked you, what's your definition of evidence? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes uh, people have their own definition. And so uh, I should have caught on after the first two or three correspondences via email that he and I have a different understanding or definition of evidence. So there's an example of me. Yeah, I'm still learning. I mean, the next time I ever I get a chance to talk about this subject matter we're talking about with an atheist, I'll start with the the question, okay, before we talk about this, let's determine what evidence is. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, you're right. We mess up. We continue to learn. And yeah. that's yeah. part of the whole process of living. Yeah. Well, thanks, John, for talking this through with us. Um, it's been great. The, the question of the Bible is believable. Man, it's really fundamental because so much is at risk. If the answer is no, then what are we doing here, right? If the answer is yes, then we have we have an awesome opportunity sitting in front of us to share that with people, to share not only the Bible, but really the content of the Bible that Jesus died, risen, take away sins, uh, unlock heaven for us, to welcome us in, saying, I've prepared a place for you. Uh, so this has been a really helpful conversation. Thanks so much. And I thank you for listening. As you listen to this podcast, make sure you share it, like it, subscribe to our channels. Uh, we release about twice a month. Looking forward to our next conversation. We'll be talking really about Easter and what the importance of the resurrection is. Hope you tune in next time. And we both pray. Uh, that this, our time today, has given you an opportunity to let fear reign in your life. Thanks for tuning in on our third episode of When Fear Reigns. The Bible is the fundamental book for Jesus' followers that it bears thinking deeply on. What questions do you have? What questions do you have about the believability of the Bible? Has anyone asked you to verify what the Bible says or offered a challenge to its truth? Share them in the comments. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts.